faith crossings are. Each week we establish a new principle and uh, we define faith crossing is simply an obedient call or an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. A faith crossing is moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. That may be a decision to be baptized, a decision to follow Jesus as your Savior, or a decision to go across the world and be a missionary. For the people in Joshua's day, it was a decision to cross the Jordan in answer to God's call. It's a faith crossing because you're continuing to trust God with the uncertainty of your journey. You understand that he's always in control. One of the things that we've observed about these faith crossings is that they often result in the extraordinary activity of God. When we answer God's call to take a step of faith, in response, God does something special. But one of the things that we want to know is that Jesus is the Lord of every faith crossing. Faith crossings can fail, by the way, when sin becomes a roadblock between us and God. However, when we repent of our sin and return to God, we position ourselves anew to experience the activity of God. So we've just been walking through this book of Joshua. Tonight we're in uh, Joshua chapter 9 and chapter 10. And tonight we're going to consider the faith crossing of the Gibeonites. The faith crossing of the Gibeonites. You may never have heard of the Gibeonites, but they're like all the other ites that were in the Old Testament. They were not uh, good people. Uh, they were bad people. Uh, they were doomed. They were separated from God. But something extraordinary happened in the life of these Gibeonites when the Gibeonites themselves made a faith crossing. One of the things that we observe in the book of Joshua and in the Bible as a whole is that unbelievers always respond to the activity of God. It may be a good response or it may be a bad response. The spirit moves. That will happen here tonight. Uh, one person will resist. Another person will surrender. One person, like uh, the old apostle Paul, will kick against the pricks. Another person will fall on their face before the glory of God. And that is exactly what we see in these chapters of Joshua. So it begins as a study in contrast. As you know, that uh, when God's people entered the promised land, there were several different tribes that lived in that land. Each tribe had a leader they called a king. And, and these clans of peoples all heard the news that Joshua and, and this people called Israel were approaching. And not only did they hear about Joshua, and by the way, Joshua's name means, and this is important, his name means the Lord is salvation. And salvation for the people of the land was deliverance from their enemies. It was the opportunity to live in peace and safety. And so apparently as the news spread about Joshua and Israel, a growing fear spread through the prevailing cult culture. And so I just invite you to look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, chapter 9 of Joshua. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and on all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves with one accord 
to fight with Joshua and Israel. This is, uh, they are, they, these people are unbelievers, and that is their response to the activity of God. They saw something happening. They saw, they felt something stirring. They felt something within them. Something was welling up within them, and their response to the activity of God was to fight against it. Now, uh, they, what did they hear? What did they know? Well, they heard about the fall of Jericho. They heard about the destruction of the little community called Ai, just right after Jericho. And the same thing happened in their hearts that happened to Rahab. You might know the story of Rahab and some of the people of Jericho. Rahab, also an unbeliever, had said earlier in the book of Joshua, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us. We know now that the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There's another unbeliever responding differently. She didn't fight against what God was doing. She said, oh my goodness, I need to surrender to what the God of heaven is doing on earth. So here are these one group of ites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, all rebelling against Joshua and God's activity. But in that same region, there's the Gibeonites. This is another tribe, uh, and their response was not one of resistance at all. Instead, it was one of surrender, but it was clandestine surrender. Uh, they, they engaged in a desperate deception. You may have never read this story, but it's interesting. It begins in verse 3 of chapter 9. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai... They also acted craftily, craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on themselves. And all They went to the Goodwill store to get all this. And all the bread of their provision was dry and they had become crumbled. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country they had not now make a covenant with us and then in verse 9 and they said to him your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God for we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So what we see, the first thing we notice about the Gibeonites is the Gibeonites caught a glimpse of the glory of God. Maybe that's happened to you tonight here in church. For the first time in a long time, you caught a glimpse of the glory of God. You, you've sensed God's presence and some of you, you may be mad about it. You, you, you may, it may have made you mad. It may have made you mad that I got up here and preached and just didn't let you go home after the baptismal service. And for some of you, you're not mad at all. You're sort of pricked in the heart. and You're saying, what in the world am I here in this church hearing this message? Could this message be for me? Uh, I, I've sent something about the Lord tonight, and I may need to respond to the Lord. And you may, the way these Gibeonites did. Now, for a long time, I joined uh, the experts in condemning Joshua for receiving these folks because the Bible says in verse 14 that they received them without asking 
for the counsel of the, of the Lord, and that's always a serious problem. But the positive lesson here outweighs the negative. And so I want you to continue to read with me, picking up in verse 8. But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants, I told you this was a desperate deception. They said, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. And they had heard the fame of the Lord your God, but they hadn't come from far away. They said, For we've heard the report of him and all that he did, and we won't repeat that. So move to verse 11. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say, We are your servants. Now make a covenant with us. Down in verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Now all these other people were going to be destroyed, but the Gibeonites had just made the deal of their lives. They had made a deal with Joshua and said, we'll be your servants. Remember who they're making a deal with. They're making a deal with this one whose name means the Lord is salvation. And they're making it not based on so much who Joshua was, but on the stories that they had heard about God. And so next, the next thing we see about the Gibeonites is that by surrendering to Joshua, the Gibeonites were surrendering to the Lord. Now, before we get too far in our discussion, do you know what the name of Jesus means? It means the Lord is salvation. Do you know it means the same thing that the name Joshua means? You realize that if, if Jesus' name had been in the Old Testament, his name would have been Joshua. That's that name. It just means the Lord is salvation. It's simply the, the Greek of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. It means the Lord is Salvation. So whether you know it or not, there's an interesting parallel between us and the Gibeonites. These Gibeonites were not good people. There's not a person here tonight that are, that's good people. That's what we said to these young people before I baptized them tonight. Uh, I told them a little bit about my journey. I made lots of mistakes along the way. The Lord's been faithful. I've not always been. How about you? These Gibeonites were not good people. These Gibeonites were not deserving of Joshua's help. They were not worthy. They were deceivers, liars, and sinners of the worst sort. As a matter of fact, they were all just like Rahab. And you know what Rahab was, maybe? She was a prostitute that lived in Jericho. And God saved her. And these Gibeonites scratched their head and said, maybe he'll save us. Maybe he'll help us. I have to admit that I too came to the Lord because of a sense of dread and doom. That's what they had. They said, look, if we don't, something's going to happen to us. We're going to be destroyed. The fear of God so filled my heart, even as a little eight-year-old boy, I could stand it no longer. And like the Gibeonites, I made my way to the one whose name is called the Lord is Salvation. And there in his presence, I surrendered to his mercy. And that's all we can do. If you're an 8-year-old boy or an 18-year-old boy or an 80-year-old man, all you can do is surrender to his mercy. So I would ask you, to which group do you belong tonight? Do you belong to those who are kicking against the pricks and you're sort of upset, you don't want anything to do with the Lord, even though you're here to see maybe a grandchild or a, a relative baptized, 
But you didn't come to hear a sermon about what God might want to do in your life. Are you one of those people who says, well, I think God's speaking to me. I think God has a message for me. Maybe he has a plan for me. Last Sunday night, I quoted the verse of the hymn, that old hymn that we used to sing in church, Have You Failed in the Plan of Your Storm-Tossed Life? Most of us have. And the solution was place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. It was for these Gibeonites, and it is for you, and it is for me. Once Joshua realized their deception, in verse 22, Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you are living within the land? Now therefore you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water, for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore we greatly feared. So that's why they made this surrender. And their condemnation, their curse, was to be bond servants of the Lord, to serve his altar, and to spend their time perpetually in his presence, not a bad curse to have placed on you. So the next thing we see about, and you see it up there on the screen, by surrendering to Joshua, these, well, it's the next point, by surrendering to Joshua, these Gibeonites became servants of the Lord. They became servants of the Lord. So you might question that, but in later years, in the Old Testament, when the Jews went after false gods, it turns out that the Gibeonites were still standing at the altar where the true God had ordained that sacrifices should be made. When the land was divided, Gibeon was given one of the cities in the uh, to the line was was one of the cities cities given to the line of Aaron, and it became the city of Gibeon became a special place where God was known. 400 years later, David put the tabernacle in Gideon. That meant the priest and the altar were there as well. By the way, one of David's mighty men, those who were closest to him in battle, was from Gibeon. And in the time of Zerubbabel, the genealogies of the Jews who returned from the captivity included a list of the Gibeonites. In the days of Nehemiah, the Gibeonites were listed among those who helped rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. The Gibeonites bowed their knee to Joshua, and he made a covenant of peace with them. One more thing we need to look at quickly, and then we'll close. From this point on, the story gets even more interesting because there's always somebody that's after you if you become one of God's servants. And so these Gibeonites found that they had an enemy, and his name in the scripture is in chapter 10. His name is Adonai Zedek. His name means the Lord of righteousness of all things. But he was not. That was his name. But he was not the Lord of righteousness. And then there's Joshua, who is, whose name means the Lord is salvation. Let me just read you the verses beginning in chapter 10, 
verse 1. Now it came about when Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and to its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, that he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. And so they did. We'll not read all the verses. Remember, by surrendering to Joshua, the Gibeonites, by faith, had entrusted themselves to his keeping. And when this happened, the Gibeonites were afraid, and they sent word to Joshua, and they said, Look, we're in trouble. And they said, beginning in verse 6, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, and he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will stand before you. Now who were these people, these Gibeonites, that they thought that they could call to Joshua for help? But they did, didn't they? You see, by surrendering to Joshua, these Gibeonites place themselves under Joshua's protective care. And he took care of them. And, and of course, one of the extraordinary, and we won't get into it tonight, but as we said, when someone makes a faith crossing, it is followed by the extraordinary activity of God. And one of the most extraordinary things that happened in all the Bible happens in the 10th chapter of the book of Joshua. We'll save it for another time. A faith crossing is simply an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It is moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It's a faith crossing because you're trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey. A faith crossing is often followed by the extraordinary activity of God. Jesus is Lord of every faith crossing. You trust yourself to the one whose name means the Lord is salvation. And when you trust yourself and your journey to him, like these Gibeonites, you place yourself under his protective care. He makes a covenant with you that is not based on your goodness, it's based on His goodness and His faithfulness. And when you call Him, like Joshua came to the aid of the Gibeonites, He will come and help you. Let's pray.